The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. You can open your scriptures, if you would, to Psalm 119. We continue in our study in Psalms. And there is a beautiful interweaving in scripture between the written word and the living word, Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been looking at in our time in Psalms. The scripture was given, it says in 2 Timothy 3.15, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But not just for that purpose, but also that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, to bring you on to completion, to guide you safely home, to finish the journey. And so today we're going to look at how the scriptures is given to transform your life by renewing your mind, by transforming your mind. And Psalm 119 has a great deal to say about this. Have you ever changed your mind? Has a day gone by when you didn't change your mind? It's not just for women. You know, it's not just women who have the priority and prerogative to change your mind. I've changed my mind, too. Chris, you'll testify. We change our minds. But the question is, can you change your mind? I mean, really just change the way you think about something, especially something important. Can that be done? Can you convert your own mind, so to speak? And throughout history, there have been those that have sought to use various techniques to change people's entire ways of thinking. In the 17th century in Spain, there was something called the Spanish Inquisition. Now, what techniques did they use to change people's minds? Physical torture. Well, I suppose it worked to some degree. You know, if you beat on people enough, they might change their mind, but I don't think that's God's method, not at all. Spanish Inquisition, therefore, became a symbol of that kind of persuasion by physical means. 1778, a strange doctor, Franz Anton Mesmer from Austria, appeared in Paris and started using strange techniques. He claimed to have something called animal magnetism. And if he touched you or touched something that you touched, you would be healed of various maladies by this animal magnetism. And it uh, became known as mesmerism or to be mesmerized some kind of early form of hypnosis. And so your mind would be changed just by being near this person. He was eventually denounced as a quack and run out of town. But the word stuck in our vocabulary when we talk about somebody who's mesmerizing, the ability to change somebody's mind by a kind of a hypnosis. Then during the Korean War, some of you remember back then a word known as brainwashing. The North Korean troops perhaps would capture some of our troops and seek to convert them to communism. And they were using techniques developed by Russian communists in the 1930s. They would isolate you in uh, physically discomforting quarters, but not, to not using torture, uh, would keep you up all hours of the night, wake you up, and then bring you in for humiliating interrogation. And then at certain key points, they would suggest the right answers to you, and then with a mixture of threat and also encouragement, leads you to come to those convictions. This was brainwashing, and so American troops were trained uh, how to resist these techniques. Uh, and then every January, we have another form of persuasion called Super Bowl commercials. And these companies, Gillette, Coca-Cola, American Airlines, Lexus, Rolex, all kinds of companies invest millions of dollars in market research and then with the best advertising companies to try to get you to change your mind and buy their product. 
I don't know what it would take to get me to buy a Lexus, an awful lot more money, I suppose, and a whole different way of looking at the world. But they think in 30 seconds they can do it. And, that's, and market research has proven that they don't waste their money. I'm not sure if that's brainwashing or what it is, but they're going for your mind, they're going for your thinking, and they're trying to persuade you to change. Now, as we bring up this whole issue, I want you to understand what a marvel, what an amazing thing is the human brain. It's an incredible thing that God has created. And you carry it around with you all the time, at least most of the times. I've met some of you, and sometimes I wonder if you might have left it behind. Go home and get it and put it back in. But we have it with us, and it's an amazing thing that God has created. The ability to think and to reason. And today I want to talk to you about the transformation of your mind, but not in any of these ways, not the Spanish Inquisition or brainwashing or any of the other, these other techniques, but the transformation of your mind by the steady flow of Scripture through it. That's what I want to talk about today. Your mind could be a blank canvas in which God paints his most stunning masterpiece, or lines on a score sheet in which he writes his most beautiful symphony. And because it can be that, and it has been that in many other lives, it is also a battleground where Satan wants to wage his fiercest battles over your soul. That is the nature of the mind, and we're going to talk about it today. In order to understand the mind, in order to understand how all of this fits in, we need to have perhaps an overview of what the Bible gives us in terms of the history of the human mind. The human mind, the brain, was created by God, and we were created, in Genesis 1, in the image of God, in the image and likeness of God. Now, when God created your mind, he put inside it, inside your brain, a hundred billion neurons, little nerve cells, hundred billion. That's a big number, a hundred billion. Now, how many neurons is that? Well, suppose, for example, you went down to Latin America where the uh, plush rainforest is, the tropical Amazonian rainforest. Uh, if you were to fly around it in a, in a helicopter or plane, it would take you days, perhaps, to get around the whole circumference of it. The number of trees in the tropical rainforest is the number of nerve cells you have in your brain. Not only that, but each of the nerve cells has these interconnections with other nerve cells, a tangled network of interconnections. And each nerve cell has as many interconnections as there are leaves on an average tree. So it's just countless, absolutely countless, that mesh that God has put in your mind, your brain. And it is in this so-called 2 Corinthians 4, 7 jar of clay that God has put the treasure of his glory. We won't always have it. There'll be a time we'll be separated from it. We'll still continue in our relationship with God. But now God works through the mind. And so much of our spirituality, so much of our life is affected by thinking processes. It's the center of our memory. It's the center of our mood and of our instinct, of our will of our thought patterns and our logic. It's the seat of individuality and personal history. And you train your brain with every experience you go through. That's why the decisions you make are so important. You're training your mind. And where water has flowed before, it'll flow again. That's why you've got to fight sin every step of the way. But the battle's for the mind. Now, we were created originally, created in the image of God. And that means that we're able to think, to reason, to plan, to feel in the way that God does. The problem was that sin entered the world and twisted the mind, twisted the thinking process. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and their thinking was twisted and their minds became darkened. It says so in Romans chapter 121. We covered this when we went through Romans. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. So sin enters and takes that beautiful gift of God and twists it and darkens the thinking process. And out of that darkened thinking comes darkened living. That's the way it works. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live... Now listen to the number of times that the thinking comes up in this passage. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. That's one. They are darkened in their understanding... That's two. And separated from the life of God because of the ignorance, that's three, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, that's four. Having lost all sensitivity, that's five. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That's where sin comes from. Five times he establishes the priority of the mind in a darkened life. And so because of sin, our thinking is twisted. We don't think properly. We don't understand properly. As a result of that, our natural mind, it says in Scripture, is hostile to God and ignorant of the things of God. The hostilities in Romans 8, 7. It says the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. The natural mind will never follow Christ. We are hostile. We're at enmity against God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says we can't understand spiritual things. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You can't understand spiritual truth unless God does something to change your mind. All right, so that's the second step. First was the giving of the gift that were created in the image of God. The second was the entrance of sin that twists the thinking and darkens the mind and the understanding. Third step is salvation. The regenerated mind. That word regeneration is such a rich word. It means new creation. A regenesis of your mind. God creates your mind anew. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, everything has become new. Isn't that beautiful? And it starts in the mind. It gives you a new way of thinking. Your, your conversion starts with the mind understanding who Jesus Christ is. You see Jesus in a way you never saw before, and that's the moment of salvation. And Paul likens it to the original creation moment. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, that's our minds, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So there's two knowledge or mind words there. That's how salvation occurs. He changes your mind so that you see Christ differently. And you see him as glorious and attractive and you want him. That's a moment of salvation. He saved you. Regeneration. And then at that moment, he also, according to 1 Corinthians 2.16, gives you the mind of Christ. What a gift. You have the ability now in Christ to think the way Jesus does about everything. But you have to train your mind. And that's where the fourth step comes in, the renewed mind. You're given a new creation mind, but now you need daily to renew your mind. Renew it, renew it, renew it. Romans 12 Verse 2 talks about this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Not only will you know what God's will is through this renewed mind, you'll actually be attracted to it. You'll love it. You'll want it. 
It's not just a matter of knowing the will of God, but approving it and saying, I want that for myself, the renewed mind. But it's a struggle, isn't it? Is your mind pure, straight, through and through? I was speaking at a college group recently, and I said, I think my mind is somewhat like seats in the, in the Congress. There's a, a vote on everything. You know, are we going to go this way or are we going to go that way? I'm pulled this way, I'm pulled that way. Do you feel what I'm talking about? There's, there's a, a pull toward that's what, that which is righteous and then a pull toward that which is unrighteous. And this, the battlefield's in here. That's where it happens. And so there's a need for the constant renewing of the mind. And then final, the final step is the glorified mind. The glorified mind. Jesus said in John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know God, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life, a deep, intimate knowledge of God. And so 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this. I love this verse. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I reasoned like a child. I thought like a child. See that? The thinking. But when I became a man, I what? I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. That's heaven, where you know God as fully as he knows you. The glorified mind. So I've given you a full history of the, of the human mind. It was given as a gift in the Garden of Eden to Adam and to Eve. A sinless, pure, perfect mind. The gift was twisted through sin so that we have darkness in our understanding. God recreates the mind through the gospel. We are then called to renew our minds daily through the word of God. And then in the end, we'll receive a glorified mind to know God as fully as we are known. Well, I want to move back and look at that fourth step, the renewing of the mind. And that's what Psalm 119 addresses. How do we renew our minds? How do we think more and more? We are called to be holy. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You're to be holy. You're to be special to God. It says so also in 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, darkness into his wonderful light. That's what you're meant to be. You're meant to be holy. And it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Be different from the world. Different in the way they think. Different in the way that they value things and the decisions they make and what they live for. Be different. Come out from them and think differently. Say, well, how do I do it? How can I come out? How can I be... Coming out means to be sanctified. How can I be sanctified? Jesus prayed this, you know, in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So the word of God, the truth of God, sets you apart as different from the world. As you take it in, imbibe it, your mind is saturated by it, you just think differently. And as you think differently, you're going to live differently. And guess what? Your neighbors are going to start to notice. <laughs> There's going to be a difference. What is with him? What is with her? They don't talk like they used to. They don't walk like they used to. There's a change. You can't talk to them about anything. You know, They have a whole different way of looking at things now. 
Well, Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 directs itself toward your understanding. And all I did in preparing this sermon is look up the word understanding in Psalm 119 and draw the doctrine out of that word understanding. So just look up in a concordance. You want to follow this? Follow the word understanding through the words, uh, through the words in Psalm 119. And it's not just any understanding. You can understand physics. You can understand your job or, or uh, computer programming. You can understand electronics. You can understand how to drive. I won't say anything about that, but it's good to understand how to drive. You can understand many things. I'm talking about a spiritual understanding now. How does that come about? Well, first, look at verse 79 in Psalm 119. And you'll want to follow along as best you can so you can read them right off the page. Look at Psalm 119, verse 79. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. Now, what do I get? I'm defining what spiritual understanding is. In Hebrew poetry, there's a kind of an A and B structure. There's a first part of the verse and then the second part. They use what's known as parallelism. In other words, the first part and the second part are related, and frequently the second part explains the first part. So you could read this verse this way. May those who fear you turn to me. That is those kind of people who understand your statutes. So just pull all the words out and say, the fear of the Lord is understanding God's statutes, or vice versa. You see what I'm getting at? Understanding is fear of the Lord. Spiritual understanding is fear of the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Proverbs 1, 7, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. What it means is that you understand behind the black squiggles on the page, there is a person speaking to you. You see what I'm getting at? Behind the markings on the page, there's a person communicating with you. And he is to be worshipped and reverenced. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of spiritual understanding. God is speaking to me through these black marks on the page. It's not some psalmist even who lived a thousand years before Christ. This is God who's talking to me. When that clicks in through faith, that's the beginning of everything. Spiritual understanding, the fear of the Lord. This comes across a little bit in verse 102. Probably on the same page. Look over at verse 102. It says, I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. You see the personal side. He said, I don't want to disobey because it's you that I'm turning away from, God. You yourself have taught me. You're the one that I turn away from when I sin. I don't want to do that. And so I'm not going to turn away from your laws. So that's the beginning of understanding is that there's a person behind this. Powerful, loving, awesome, should be worshipped. Second aspect of understanding is that it's insight, or we could also use the words illumination. Have you ever been reading in Scripture or anything else and you say, ah, aha, something clicks. That's called insight. Now, you students should be getting it as you read your textbooks. Your professors are counting on it. There needs to be understanding, insight, something clicks. You understand. Well, here we're talking that something's going to click about God or about your life or about some aspect of doctrine. Something clicks. You say, aha, insight. There's something I hadn't seen before. Psalm 119, 105, on the same page there, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So there's light. We call it illumination. Something comes on that was dark before. You didn't see it before, but now you see it. And look at verse 130. 
Verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And this is what I do every week in preaching. I seek to unfold texts in front of you. Unfold them or open them up into your minds so that you get insight. You understand something you didn't see before. And I follow the verses so that you can go home and do it yourself. You can try this in the safety of your own home. I would actually exhort you. That's my whole purpose. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, then go home and read the Bible. Then you got it. That's the whole point of my sermon. Go home and read the Bible for yourself. But the unfolding of your words gives insight. You see things. And so that's why I exhorted you to pray and, and along with verse 18. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see new things in your law. I want to see the insight, the illumination. Now, it comes to a Christian by the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's why the Spirit is given, to show you those neat things. Give him a chance. Give him a chance to do it. Read the scripture, and he'll start showing you some things. Start showing you more and more. Third step is what we call knowledge, and from that, good judgment. Look at verse 66. Teach me knowledge and good judgment for I believe in your commands. There's really one step after the other. Knowledge is an accumulation of aha moments, is what it is. You, you start to build them up. You start to store them up, and you remember them. The human mind's an amazing thing. You start to say, oh yeah, I remember, and that clicks with this, and that connects with this. You start to build a theology. You don't even know that that's what you're doing. You'd never want your friends to know that you're a theologian. It's one of the last things you'd want to be in America today, but you really are one. It's starting to accumulate. You're building a database of knowledge about God. That's knowledge. It starts to come. And from that comes what we call good judgment. That we may be able to test and approve God's good, holy, and perfect will. Good judgment. You know what way to go. All right. Well, that is understanding. The question is, where do you find it? That's what it is. Where do you get it? And Job talks about this whole thing. And Job... Uh, don't turn there, but uh, Job 28, beautiful chapter. And he describes this whole question. Where do you find understanding? Where does it come from? And this is what he says. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to the darkness. He searches the farthest recesses for ore that's iron, in the blackest darkness, far from where people dwell, he cuts a shaft. In places forgotten by the foot of man, far from men, he dangles and sways. He's talking about mining here, miners that go down into the earth for precious metals. The earth from which food comes is transformed from below as by fire. Sapphires come from its rocks and its dust contain nuggets of gold. He tunnels through the rock, his eyes see all its treasures, he searches the sources of rivers and brings hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Where do you find it? And Job's answer is very plain. You find it from God. God gives it. You're not going to find it any other place. Look at verse 73 in Psalm 119. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me... Look what it says. Give me understanding. That's a prayer, isn't it? Give me understanding. It implies that God has it to give. You want understanding, you go to God, and you get it from him. Give me understanding to learn your commands. Well, how does he give it? Well, he gives it through his word. Look at verse 104. This is a very modified, easy sword drill. 
because it's all in one or two pages. Look at verse 104. I gain understanding from what? Your precepts. That's where it comes from. So God gives it, step one, he gives it through his word. Precepts of God, step two. And then 130, we already saw, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So as the word gets unfolded, we gain understanding. Thirdly, he gives it by opening your mind. Look at verse 18, which we referred to before. It's my favorite verse in the whole psalm. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. He does it by opening your eyes. Now you say, wait a minute, how do I read without open, open eyes? Well, your eyes are open. You may be seeing the black marks on the page, but have you ever read the Bible and that's all it was? Black marks on a page? It doesn't do anything for you. It's hitting a wall. It's not probing deeply. And so you need to stop and say, God, I'm not getting it. Open my eyes, the eyes of my heart, that I may understand what you're saying to me here. I want to get it. It's not enough just to listen, is it? The Jews did that. They listened to the word all the time and they didn't get it. Jesus said, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Because your hearts are calloused. Ask God to open your heart, to plow your heart like a, like a newly plowed field so that you can receive the seed of the word. He's got to open your, open your eyes and your minds. And he gives it in response to heartfelt prayer. Look at 169. Psalm 119, verse 169. May my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Look at that. May my cry come before you. What is that? That is prayer, but it's not just any kind of prayer. It's heartfelt prayer. You're going to God and saying, Oh God, open the word to me. I must understand it. I want to know you, God. I want to know your word. Please show it to me. So God gives understanding. He gives it through his word. He gives it through heartfelt prayer. Who does he give it to? He gives it to people who will obey it. Look at 125. Psalm 119, verse 125. Look what it says. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. He gives it to his servants. Now, what is a servant? Well, someone who obeys the master, right? He will give you the word as you obey it. As you treat it precious. It's valuable to you, and he'll give you more of it. He sees what, you, what you've done with the last insight. As you are obedient, he'll give it to you. All right, well, that's where it comes from. What comes out of it? If you understand, what do you get for it? Well, first thing you get is you get life itself. Look at verse 144. Your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding in order that I may what? Live. Just live. Do you know that the Word of God actually protects your physical life? Do you understand how holy God is? Do you understand that God has been known to take the lives of people because of sin? Even believers. In 1 Corinthians 11, there was a problem with the Lord's Supper. We're going to have the Lord's Supper next week. I would urge you to search your heart and your mind before you come to that table. Because the Apostle Paul said, if anyone eats in a manner unworthily or does not recognize the body and blood of Jesus, some among the Corinthian congregation had fallen asleep and some had gotten sick. It's right there in 1 Corinthians 11. God deals seriously with sin. And so, 
The Word of God protects you from that kind of discipline from God so that you may be holy, that you may turn away from worthless things and live a worthwhile life, protected from the judgment of God. Verse 37 says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Look at verse 37. Turn my eyes, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Brothers and sisters, are there worthless things around you? Do you you feel it? There's more every year, it seems. More worthless things all the time. Our culture is going down, folks. Do you not see that? You've got to come out from it and be separate, says the Lord. Preserve my life, according to your word, verse 37. Preserve my life. This is serious, folks. Preserve my life, according to your word, that I may live at all. That's what you get from understanding. It's not just physical life. You get eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. You get eternal life. Physical life and eternal life from understanding. That's worthwhile. You also get heart transformation. Take your uh, bulletin and look on the cover. Look on the cover. See that little diagram? Did you notice it when you came in? All right. This is what I believe is a picture of spiritual maturity, and not only that, but how the journey is made. Okay? It works this way. Knowledge, faith, character, actions. You know something. You understand something. That's knowledge. You couple it with faith to believe that it is God speaking it to you. It changes your character, your heart, let's say. That has to do with what you love and what you hate, isn't it? The things you love, the things you're attracted to and want, the things you hate and don't want. It changes that around. You start to love what's good and hate what's wrong. And then out of that, you live your life, right? This is spiritual maturity. And by the way, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with chronological age. It has to do with did you follow this cycle for your life? Did you take in the scripture? Did you listen to it as though God were speaking? Did you put it into practice? That's how the maturity comes. Now look at the verse above it. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Now look how it lines up. Is knowledge in that verse? Yes. I gain what? Understanding. Okay. Is faith in there? Yes. What does he gain understanding from? From your precepts. Who's the you in the verse? God. He says, you gave them to me. That's faith. He believes God is speaking these precepts to him. Therefore, I hate. What part of him hates? His character, right? He hates. And what does he hate? Every wrong path. What is a path? In Jewish thinking, a path's the way you live your life. It's your action patterns. It's all right there. Psalm 119, verse 104. Maturity comes from understanding first, coupling it with faith, having it change your heart, what you love and what you hate and then having it change your life. Now, finally, I want to show you three glorious cycles that are in Psalm 119. And these cycles, as they go round and around in your life, will take you to maturity. They'll take you right to maturity. The first is the meditation and obedience cycle. Look at verse 99. By the way, verse 99 through 102 contains all these cycles. 99, 100, 101... That's where the cycles are. All right, first of all, meditation and understanding. I have more insight than all my teachers. Why? I meditate on your statutes. Insight is understanding. Understanding comes from meditation. It comes from deep thinking. 
Not light, quick thinking. Not your three-minute quiet time. I mean you're working on it. You're thinking about it deeply. You're reasoning it through, just like we're doing right now together with Psalm 119. You're thinking about it. Well, meditation, therefore, promotes understanding. Now, put your finger here. We're going to go back in a minute. But look back at verse 27. Verse 27 says, Let me understand the teachings of your precepts. Then I will what? Meditate on your wonders? That's strange. In the other verse, it was, Let me meditate in order that I might what? Understand. But here it's reversed. Let me understand in order that I may what? Meditate. Well, how does that work? I'll explain it to you. Suppose a great uncle gave you an abandoned silver mine in near Tucson, and no silver had come out of it for 100 years. But you wanted to go see your new property, and you went down there, and sure enough, it looked about as abandoned as it could get. There's this old wooden sign, which probably you could sell as an artifact that might give you 100 bucks for it. But beside that, there seems to be nothing but a hole in the ground. Well, let's say that you're bringing a friend, and you get these kind of helmets with their lights, and you go down in it, and you look around, and sure enough, just dusty and all kinds of spider stuff, clean, cleaning it out. And then as you're kind of exploring around, you see a kind of a an area where there's some, some dirt that's fallen in. And so you kind of dig in there a little bit, and you go in, and all of a sudden you see, and the light is sparkling on the walls, and you recognize that it's silver. There's just a whole area in there that had never been explored. Would you not be motivated to go buy a pickaxe and get back down in the hole in the ground and get some silver for yourself? Suppose you go in there and find nothing. Will you be motivated to go back in that dirty, dusty hole with all those spider webs? No. Insight promotes meditation. You see how it works? When you find things out, you say, hey, that was kind of neat. I'm looking forward to my next quiet time. I'm really kind of excited about this. I'm seeing some things I hadn't seen before. This is really kind of neat. It's kind of like a, a good businessman gets a profit out of his business and then does what with it? Reinvests it into the business again. That's how it works. That's cycle number one. Cycle number two, understanding promotes obedience Obedience promotes understanding. All right, I just said understanding promotes obedience. Well, Jesus said, you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You see how there's a connection between understanding, and as you understand God's will, it leads you toward obedience. Well, that makes sense. But amazingly, Psalm 119 also reverses it. Look at verse 100. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. That's very interesting. I understand because I what? Obey. How does that work? Well, it takes us back to the history of the mind. What does sin do to the mind? It, sh it darkens it. You begin to twist spiritual truth. You begin to fight it. But if you have an open heart toward God, willing to obey anything, guess what? You're going to start understanding more things from Scripture. You see the cycle? Understanding promotes obedience, but obedience promotes understanding. Now, the final cycle is obedience promotes further obedience. Look at 101. 101. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I may what? Obey your word. I have chosen not to sin in order that I may obey. The more you obey, the more you'll obey. There's a cycle. That's the way it works. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in more. He who is faithful in more will be faithful in much. But if you disobey, if you rebel, guess what? You're going to stop obeying. That's the way it works. Now, we've looked today at understanding try to understand understanding. I want to lay before you some very practical things. And next time we talk about Psalm 119, which is in two weeks, 
Uh, we're going to learn some practical hints on how to study the scriptures. But this is what I want to talk to you about. If you're a Christian, I want you to, to take these cycles and allow them to move you to spiritual maturity. To keep going around and around until you're mature. All right? This is how it works. Come to God every day, humbly, in prayer, and say, God, I want to understand your word. Say, verse 18, open my eyes to see new things in your word. Secondly, at that time, say, God, I will obey what you tell me. Whatever it is you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. I promise you, I'm going to obey it with your help. Then you read carefully and deeply. Stop and compare phrases like we've been doing in Psalm 119. Think about it. Don't just let it wash over you, but think about it. Meditate on it. At the end, humbly pray again. God, you've shown me some new things. Thank you. Now help me to obey the things you've shown me. And then go do it. Do the things you promised to do. Obey. And then do it again the next day. Do it for 10 years. And guess what? You'll be more like Jesus at the end of the 10 years than when you started. And now a final word to those who are not yet Christians. None of what I just said will work for you. None of it. Because the mind without the Holy Spirit cannot understand spiritual things. Therefore, can I ask you to come to Christ? Come to personal faith in Christ. Give your life to Jesus that you might have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then you can grow into godliness and maturity. Won't you close with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the things that we've seen today in your word. We thank you for the brains you've given us, O oh Lord. They're complex. We don't even understand why we think and feel the way we think and feel. But we want to put our brains, our minds right before you and say, God, transform me by the renewing of my mind. Oh God, make me a, a diligent student of the scripture that I might grow to be like you. And for any who are here, any guests who do not know you, O oh Lord, I pray that they would come to know you as Savior and Lord, that they put their trust in you, that they might understand spiritual truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life the internal journey of sanctification, and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.